2: And
0: empower As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination and godly things.
1: If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh.
0: Erin Addison's
1: on American Family Radio. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And J Mac and sweet Victor are on tap to help us navigate the show, and we appreciate them. It's great to be with you today i had a mm-hmm. wonderful weekend um sort of it was a week it was like not the whole weekend but it was like it was you know a good a good deal of it yeah uh up in uh, Carroll carol stream illinois uh with my two daughters we were at iche's mid-winter renewal mm-hmm. women's midwinter renewal mm-hmm. which as i understand it when we got there there was a, a, a light snow that had taken place just before we got into town and then it snowed while I was speaking on Saturday, um, presented three times on Saturday. And so it's an honor to bring in the chilly weather. (laughs) Yeah. Look, with snow
0: and traveling that way. We're not used to. No, no. And so
1: God was very gracious to us, very merciful in that we did not drive in any snow. Mm -hmm. Right. So it was already done when we arrived and then it just snowed while we were speaking. And then when we left, um, we just had the evidence of the snow on the vehicle, which is always so kind um, of people to help us when we're outside of our element. So shout out to Nicole who uh, scraped our windows and everything because we just don't know this life. Okay, we just don't know this life. And, and she and she went here. Take this scraper. I've got another one. And I was like, No, 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 really. We don't have any need for that. Like I'm, n- I'm, I'm not going to use it again unless we get snowmageddon, um, like we did once here in the South in, yeah. in Mississippi. But that when are we going to get that again? You should have
0: received that. That was a gift. She was trying to bless
1: you. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you, Nicole. Um, got to make some great friends, which is always exciting. The girls got to make some great friends, which they're always looking for. And so that was wonderful. I had a really, really great time. Yeah. Um, shout out to my sister, Tracy, who informed me um, that she's the white me. Yes, and I would like. <laughs> no. I w- I would like to say because I I That's learned funny. that she listens to the podcast when she's working out, so she'll be listening to this tomorrow morning when she's working. <laughs> so I just want to say, go ahead and press that incline. Come on, kick it up. Let's go, let's go. Push it, push it. Don't slow down. <laughs> she's laughing now, which could cause you to lose your balance if you're on the oh, treadmill. Be careful. All right, be careful, be careful Tracy. Um, anyway, it was a great time. But here's the thing: I did not know that while I was on the interstate. With our two daughters just having great, great fellowship, laughing together, talking deeply about issues. Nine hours and some change is a lot of time to visit with your teenage daughters, Mm -hmm. okay? So we enjoy that time, and we make the most of it, which is why we travel with our kids, so that we can do that. Um, here's what I didn't know was happening while I was on the interstate on my way to Carroll Stream, Illinois. I did not know that over a million views, okay, uh, was being enjoyed, or were, a million views were being enjoyed, by people uh, looking at an Andy Stanley clip. Uh, <laughs> but I did learn from, I, I learned this from, one of the elders at at my local assembly here, who you also happen to know, uh, <laughs> Abraham Hamilton, the third. So, you know, right. That's right. So that's what we get. So <laughs> so we learn this as a warning. Yeah. He talked about this to warn us, which is so refreshing, right, that shepherds warn the flock and mm-hmm. say, hey, this is something that is circulating and it is my duty and my responsibility to warn you. So. Um, so we were warned about this in our Sunday service on yesterday and I was unaware of it. And as someone who watches the culture, I was like, well, I got to find out, I got to do a little more digging. And so I found the clip and then I wondered, okay, where did this come from? Uh, this is Andy Stanley talking about gay people in the church and it's very important the way he terms this and you're going to, you're going to hear the clip and I'm going to tell you why I think this is important. Even before you hear the clip, one, um, what he says is very dangerous, What he says is very dangerous Two, this was presented at a conference last year for ministry leaders. So it makes his comments Mm -hmm. even more dangerous because now what he is doing is almost sort of like a virus that is being sent out from a collection of people who are responsible for other people, possibly all across the country. All right. Mm -hmm. So Andy Stanley is an elder. He oversees. He oversees a church, um, North Point Church, I think is the name of the church, North Point Church, um, in the Atlanta area. I want to say, I guess I think I'm right about that. Um, but I know this it's was in the not Atlanta
0: area for sure.
1: This was not a message just given to his congregation, which it would have been bad enough mm-hmm. if that had been the fact or had been the case. Right. But this was from a conference called the Drive Conference. The Drive Conference. And this is a conference that equips ministry leaders. Mm. So people coming from all across the country to learn how to do ministry, ministry to youth, ministry to kids, ministry Ah. to singles, ministry to marrieds, ministry, 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 how to, quote unquote, minister at your church. And why do I put ministry in quotes? Because ministry is a real thing. But when it's bad ministry, it's, quote unquote, ministry. (laughs) Okay. and so this is very dangerous. But I want you to listen to this clip here um this has well over a million views online again it's from 2022 but is circulating now and i think man it is so important for us to understand that people just because they have a large gathering or because they have a large church mm-hmm. does not mean that god is approving of their ministry like Come we on. we have to understand this like this this idea that bigger is better which is really an american conviction um, we kind of we made that great right that just why have it small when it can be big just bigger just more <laughs> we think that way about the church right mm-hmm. we think if you've got a mega church okay then you must be biblically sound and you must be doing things um, that the Lord is pleased with or teaching things that the Lord is pleased with and. Um, Unfortunately, what we find, this is not true for every large church. I want to be very clear here. Right, right. This is not true for every large church. There are large churches that are maintaining their faithfulness and their fidelity to Scripture. There there are large churches that are equipping the saints for the work of ministry. There, there are large churches that are doing the work. So I don't want anyone to hear me saying that. Um, largely, though, there are large churches that are not. OK, and because the goal is just the large church, it's it's not the equipping of the saints. It's not, um, you know, it, it's not maintaining faithfulness to, to, to God's word. That's not the thrust of the ministry. Far too often what you find is that the large church just wants to maintain its largeness. Mm, yes, if
0: you will. Right.
1: All right. So. Huge problems with what you're about to hear, Andy Stanley, um, but even huger (laughs) problems because it's a conference where other ministers have gathered to glean and to learn and to go back and implement. This is a problem. Mm. Clip one. Here we go.
2: Figure out how to get straight people as excited about serving and engaging as the gay men and women I know. We would have a volunteer backlog. That's my experience in our churches. Well, I'm. A gay person, I'll just read it to you. A gay person, when I say gay, men and women, okay. A gay person who still wants to attend church after the way the church has treated the gay community. I'm telling you, they have more faith than I do. They have more faith than a lot of you. A gay person who knows, you know what? I might not be accepted here, but I'm gonna try it anyway. Have you ever done that as a straight person? Where do you go that you're not sure you're going to be accepted and you go over and over and over and over? Only your in-laws house. That's the only place you go where you know you're not completely accepted, but you go over and over and over and it's because you have to. But other than the in-laws, what environment do you continue to step foot in knowing at any moment you may feel ostracized? No place. I'm telling you, the gay men and women who grew up in church and the gay men and women who've come to faith in christ as adults who want to participate in our church oh my goodness i know 1 corinthians 6 and i know leviticus and i know romans 1 it's so interesting to talk about all that stuff but just oh my goodness a gay man or woman who wants to worship their heavenly father who did not answer the cry of their heart when they were 12 and 13 and 14 and 15, God said, no, and they still love God. We have some things to learn from a group of men and women who love Jesus that much and who wanna worship with us. And I know the verses, I know the clobber passages, right? We gotta figure this out. And you know what? I think you are. Uh
0: Man, such a disregard there's, for oh the, my the goodness. scriptures. It's like, I know this, I know this, you know, whatever. I'm like, what? And, those are, and those, those are interesting. Those are Those are just
1: interesting passages. What? Those are the clobber passages. Those are the passages that we use to beat people over the head with. Wow. Um, there's so much here. And we have a guest uh, who's going to join us in the second segment here. But let me just say this. Uh, I didn't want, you know. Okay, so there's there's so much here to to find troubling, right? First of all. This idea that he is pushing, even in the way he communicates his point here, Mm -hmm. is to buy into this this belief that a person is homosexual and that it is something that is immutable, Mm -hmm. that that it is to them as my excuse the expression blackness is to me. OK, I I, there's a you could have problems with the way I said that and I wouldn't (laughs) be mad at you. Okay. But I'm trying to communicate a point here. Right. So so when you say the gay person who just wants to serve their heavenly father, who just wants to serve, so first of all, what you are doing Mm -hmm. is you are making that an identity. Okay. So now Mm -hmm. watch this. We cannot deal with the sin when we identify the person. him or herself as the sin. You are this. So now, so now what you've done, and remember, he's talking to ministry leaders. He has identified those who practice homosexuality, those who identify as homosexual. And, and, and what is this identity? This is what I do. This is what I do. All right. So adultery is committed by the adulterer. You are an adulterer, adulterer, in as much as that is what you do. Do you understand? So you cannot wrestle that away from the action. Okay, you are an adulterer when you commit adultery. You are an adulterer because you commit adultery. So the identity is attached to an action. Guys, we have to understand this. If we don't understand this, then we are not going to condemn the sin because we're going to see that as inextricably linked to the person. That the we can't talk. That is who they are. Nope, that is not what the Bible says. That is not what the Bible says. And as much as Pastor Stanley wants to just drive by real quick like, 1 Corinthians six, he would do well to go back and make sure that people understand the such were some of you part of it. Mm. The such were some of you. You see, I don't look back on my life and remember a time when I was black and then I met Christ. <laughs> hey, hey, won't he do it? <laughs> won't he do it? No, because because the color of my skin. Right. My my cultural identity is not something that is akin to sin. It is wow. not the same thing, but this is what the homosexual argument is, and this and it has firmly pr- planted in the church now. That used to be Man. controversial. Mm-hmm. We used to talk about that and say, wait a minute, hold on a second. Like, Is it something that you do, or is it something that you are? Are you born Now we don't even talk about it anymore, which is really scary. Mm. It's really scary mm. that we don't talk about it because it shows that we have resigned ourselves to accept this as fact when it isn't. It is not a fact.
0: And also it presents God as not being a deliverer. He's Come like, on. The, the picture that he's painting is that you prayed a long time ago and God said no. Well, God has said, has said yes to so many people and delivered, you know, out of many sins. Not just Come that on. one. You Come know, on. he's a deliverer. So but
1: that's what you have to accuse God. Mm-hmm. You have to accuse God when you depart or deviate from the scriptures. Mm. So the reason he has to accuse God is because he has made homosexuality and identity Mm. akin to someone's ethnicity. So you prayed and you prayed and you prayed. So then this must just be who you are. This Mm. is just who you are rather than rather than you come to Christ. You turn to the Lord. You say no to your sin. You say yes to, to the complete and sufficient work of Jesus Christ, right? And you receive the gift of God that is eternal life because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, it's difficult for us to get to that place when we adopt the world's definition and And the world's attempt to find a new carved out space whereby you can have your sin and also claim to have God. Mm. That's where we are today. This is extremely dangerous. This is reckless. This right now has been spread to as many churches as were represented at this conference, by the way. Right. So, this is why in our churches, so you you need to know what youth pastors are teaching your children. Right. You need to know what the children's workers are teaching your children. All right, we got to grab the break. Oh, I wish we could stay here just a tad bit longer. We can't. Aaron the Addisons, American Family Radio. We'll be right back.
0: Now I finally know. Now I finally know. Now I finally
2: know. Just as it comes, let it go.
0: Nothing left to hold, but i still held by you. It is well with my soul. It is
1: well my soul. Welcome yeah. back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. We appreciate you listening. I'm Mickey.
0: And I'm Will, and that's Roy Tosh with Well.
1: I just want to say this publicly. Um that first segment that we had mm-hmm. is to be continued. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> to be continued. just stand by Just because I have a certain amount of words. That I allocate to certain topics, (laughs) and I in no way got close enough. Okay, so we're, 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 I don't know when, but we will go back to that. It will happen. We we can't do it now because we have a guest who has so graciously agreed to join us and talk about his new book. The book is Interpreting Your World Five Lenses for Engaging Theology and Culture. And I saw this book, and it really piqued my interest because you guys know that that's one of the things that's kind of near and dear. Um, I guess as far as my interests go, the intersection of faith and culture and mm-hmm. how we navigate the time that we're living in, right, how we make sense of the time that we're living in, in a way that is faithful to our deeply held convictions, our our biblical conviction that the word of God is true and inerrant. And so I wanted to talk to our guest about his book and just see how um, these conversations can help, I, I guess, fortify mm-hmm. believers. I'm mm-hmm. desperately, I don't know, maybe that's too strong a word. Desperately interested in equipping the next generation that is now and and wanted to see them have um, thoughtful, deep conversations that Mm -hmm. are that are brave in the culture that we live in, that we're not constantly apologizing for our conviction and finding ways to navigate that. Let me introduce him formally, Dr. Justin Ariel Bailey of Fuller Theological Seminary, is Associate Professor of Theology at Dort University in Sioux City, Iowa. He is an ordained minister in the Christian Reformed Church and has served as a pastor in diverse settings. I'm going to ask Dr. Bailey, Brother Justin, prepare yourself. I'm going to ask you about this next line here that I'm going to read. Because it, it led to an okay. interesting conversation <laughs> between me and my son. Because he 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 can he checks the stuff that I'm going to talk about right to see if it, <laughs> if it's approved. Um, but you've served as a pastor in diverse settings, including Filipino American, Korean American, and White American. Okay, so just I'm, g- I'm going to come back to that because I just want you to unpack that for me just a little bit. Um, he also hosts in all things. Um, the podcast In All Things, and his writings um, have appeared in Christianity Today. He is the author of Reimagining Apologetics, The Beauty of Faith in a Secular Age, and he joins us today to discuss his newest book, Interpreting Your World, Five Lenses for Engaging Theology and Culture. Justin, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Yeah, it's so good to be with you.
1: So tell me about um, serving as a pastor uh, in diverse uh or serving diverse congregations. Tell me why that you find that that is noteworthy in the way that you are faithfully serving the Lord today.
3: Yeah. So a big part of, you know, you mentioned your, your interest in navigating the culture faithfully. So I'm Filipino American. My parents Mm -hmm. met and married in the Philippines and, uh, and then, uh, I was born here and then Mm -hmm. I grew up sort of, you know, bicultural and, um, Wanting to figure out what that meant for me
2: to exist
3: in multiple spaces cultural spaces, but having my deepest identity being rooted in Jesus Christ mm. uh, and one of the things I always found most beautiful about the Christian faith is that it's translatable into every language and every culture uh, in a way that renews every culture, even as it calls every culture to uh, to repentance and the obedience of faith and uh, and so the diverse uh, the diversity piece. Um, in some ways to me is, is a testimony to the beauty of the gospel, how the, the gospel doesn't create uniformity. It doesn't create mm-hmm. a monoculture, uh, that's but right. it, it, it flowers forth in all of these beautiful ways in the different contexts uh, mm. in which it, it, it finds itself. And that's sort of what I'm trying to do in the book as well, is to kind of navigate those multiple spheres of belongings, uh, spaces of of meaning and identity, while being most deeply rooted in um in in the gospel of Jesus
1: Christ. Yeah, no, I think that's Amen. awesome. You know, w- one of the things that I think is really cool is to be comfortable enough as a Christian, as mm-hmm. a follower of Christ, to be able to address address culture and ethnicity without it being weird, like to just, like, I like being able to just say, hey, Justin, (laughs) I want to know, like, tell me about, like, you're serving in these various capacities or, you know, serving these different congregations without having Mm -hmm. to give all of these disclaimers. No, I like Filipinos and I like, (laughs) like, I feel like sometimes we are, you know, I don't know. Like we're so afraid of each other and we don't need to be. There's an incredible amount of freedom and the Bible man, is so expressive in the celebration of diversity and, and the gathering of believers and what Christ did to unite us under this one banner that we have been forgiven and that in him, we now have eternal life. So I think it's cool that you, um that you lead with that in your bio. It's the first time I've ever seen anything like that.
3: Yeah. You know, it's really fascinating. I now live in, in, in Iowa. And, you know, sometimes I say that now I I work with Dutch Americans because that's the predominant (laughs) uh, ethnic immigration story. And I I like that, you know, um, because it acknowledges that everybody sort of has an ethnic story, um, you know, that is part of what God has done. And God is knitting together uh, all tribes and tongues and nations Mm. um, in in one beautiful body of Christ. And so I I love talking about people's ethnic stories and, and the sort of food that they, you know, I always tell my students, you know, you say you don't like ethnic food, but everyone's food is ethnic, right? Depending on where, right. where you <laughs> yeah, come from. that's right. You know, and, uh, and, and so just, just to, to remind students that that's one of the most beautiful things about the way that God's created us is this creational diversity. And if you think of the day, the day of Pentecost, everybody hears. The Word of God in their own language, not not in one language,, yeah. uh, but that God translates the Gospel, as it were, into the heart languages of all these people that are gathered there on the day of Pentecost and um, and so those stories that we have are important they 're not mm-hmm. the most important thing about us, uh, uh, the most important things that we belong to Christ, Amen. but they are so important Um, in the diversity that God has given to us.
1: Mm. Oh, man, if we could understand this, I think Mm -hmm. that we would return a certain amount of effectiveness to the Lord's bride. Like, our our ethnicity and our culture is not an afterthought to God if we believe that Acts 17.26 is true, Mm. that the Lord has done this on purpose, that he had a plan for where we would be born and the time that we would live in, and that the Lord uses us, as a result of what he caused to be like the time that we live in, the cultures that we are born into, the Lord uses us to advance his church, to enlarge his kingdom. And unfortunately, we've allowed outside culture to infiltrate the church and cause us from one extreme to the next or one extreme to the other to either make too much of this or to, to not make much of it at all. And I think both of those actually misses the mark.
3: Yeah, one other thing that I thought of while you were saying that is, um, you know, being Filipino-American but then working in other ethnic contexts where it's, where it's Korean-American or Dutch-American or whatever, whatever you might say is whenever you're the outsider, um, it kind of puts you in a particular posture of humility as a learner, you know, especially if there's a language barrier. You have to learn someone else's language, and that requires some level of humility
0: mm-hmm. and
3: some level of patience. Uh, and even the willingness to look foolish, and I think that it's good for all of us to experience what it's like to be the outsider, uh, to come into a situation where we're not in the majority, and and see and be secure enough in Christ that we know who we are, we know whose we are,
1: mm-hmm. and so
3: we can learn and not be threatened by the difference that we encounter there.
1: Mm, very good. Yeah, that's it's very good. Very encouraging. Um, and so let's just dive into the book, Interpreting Your World, Five Lenses for Engaging Theology and Culture. Why do you think at this point in the history of the church, um, as we look at uh, faithfully executing, what is the the expectation the Lord has of us to live in the world, not be of the world, but to live in the world? Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think writing this book is important at this time?
3: Yeah, you know, I, I obviously wrote this book primarily for my students, Um, who I felt like I wanted to give some tools uh, for thinking about interpreting the world in which they're living. Uh, You know, a lot of times we have a tendency between two extremes. Either we are, um, to use the analogy of birds, like an ostrich, we put our head in the ground and pretend like nothing is happening, or we're like a pelican. We scoop up everything and don't really have any sort of discernment uh, in what we're taking in. And so I was trying to write a book that uh, was careful and curious, but at the same time really convicted Um, in thinking about the cultural setting in which we live, because culture is not something that's optional. All of us are deeply formed by culture. It's Mm -hmm. part of us. It's contagious. Um, You know, it's not something we can just pick up and set down and decide whether or not we want to engage it. No, we are part of culture. It is part of us. And so we are all found in this sort of field force of cultural forces that are always shaping us. Uh, We're also planted in a particular place in which uh, certain ideas grow in the soil uh, in in which we're planted and certain ideas don't grow. You know, think of the parable of the sower. Uh, Mm -hmm. Certain things have the life choke, choke the life out of the the seed. Uh, And so knowing what that soil is like and being able to, um, yeah, plant gospel gospel trees in the soil requires being able to understand the soil uh, in which we're planted. And so there is a sense in which I'm trying to help uh, my students, but really anyone uh, who uh, recognizes the fact that they are part of culture, to do that with greater fidelity to the gospel, Mm -hmm. but also uh, greater curiosity um, in taking first the posture of a learner and learning what we can, but then also listening for the voice that tells us what we can't tell ourselves, which is, of course, the voice that we find in Scripture.
1: Mm, Yeah, so good. So here's what I'd like to do. I I would like for you to permit us, Will the Great and myself and all of our listeners um, all across the country who are tuned in right now to audit your class. I, I would like for you to kind of set us up and help us to understand how we take this almost step by step in understanding. So there are five lenses that you identify in the book. And I would like to work through them. And I know that we cannot do this extensively because we haven't paid tuition. So what I would like to do is just sort of get the Freeman's uh, version of it. But then also I want you to identify some of the terms that you use in the book. And I think a great place to start, because I think when people hear this, they will automatically recognize, oh, yeah, that's true. These things do exist in culture. Talk first about cultural artifacts and and what we identify from our culture and then how we approach those things. And then let's break off into these five lenses that you outline in the book.
3: Yeah, a cultural artifact is any... Uh... It is cultural phenomenon. It is television shows. It is podcasts. It is uh, albums, pieces of music. It is uh, cultural movement. So anything that later anthropologists would be able to point to and say, this is something that characterizes this, this culture at this time. Uh, and so uh, I always have students write papers about particular cultural artifacts uh, because they are meaning-filled uh, practices that don't emerge out of nowhere. So they yeah. have uh, a place that they come from, they have a world of meaning that they represent, and then they form us in a particular way, and we do something with them.
1: Okay, so now how do we take these lenses that you identify in the book and examine, among other things, these cultural artifacts? I know that you say asking the right questions is yeah. is the first approach. So, So how do we do that?
3: So make it a little bit simpler, let's just think instead of five lenses, just think of two movements. And so okay. one movement is theology from culture, and then second is theology for culture. So theology from culture is an exercise in careful listening, in which we're trying to discern what is the operative theology, so what's going on uh, in, in this cultural artifact. So what what is its sense of what is most real, what matters, what it means to be human, what's wrong with the world, mm. uh, is, there, is there any hope uh, of things getting better. So th- that's its operating theology. So every cultural artifact is going to have to wrestle with those sorts of questions because we live in God's world. We live in mm-hmm. a world in which we can't not ask those theological questions. What does it mean to be human? It's a theological yes. question that every cultural artifact wrestles with. And so every cultural artifact has an operative theology that we need to discern. So if you think about from the Bible in Acts chapter 17, as you've already uh, cited, uh, Paul says, here you have this altar to an unknown God. Let me mm-hmm. tell you about this unknown God. So there's the sort of theology from that Paul starts with. He starts with the theology that's already happening in the culture before bringing the gospel in from the outside. Mm. So that's the first movement. And then the second movement is constructive, whereas the first one is more curious, it's more listening, it's more investigative. Uh, the second movement is more constructive. This is a movement in which we say, in light of the gospel, what do we make of this? Uh, uh, what is the critique that the that the gospel brings, and what is the completion that the gospel brings? So again, to use the example of Acts seventeen, there are things about um, things about the Athenian culture that Paul said you got that right. He quotes some of their poets, right? He quotes yeah. some of their uh, some of their texts and says that you were right about this, but. Here's what you didn't get right. You know, mm-hmm. here are the things that that can only come from the outside, uh, and then he he tells them the gospel of of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And so there's the sense in which the gospel comes from the outside of every culture. So God is at work and present everywhere. But the gospel is not. The gospel always comes from the outside, uh, with a word of critique, with a word of completion. that calls every culture to repentance and to obedience. It renews, it heals, it restores uh, every culture. And so Theology for Culture is this movement of constructive engagement, saying, what does the gospel give to us here? What does the mm. gospel uh, all call to question? Uh, how does it call us to, to account and, uh, and, and what direction does the gospel tell us mm-hmm. to take this? So it's sort of a movement of listening, and then there's a movement of, of constructive engagement. And so those would be the two movements, and all five of these lenses uh, that we would, we would do both of those things. We would spend some time listening for what the culture, mm-hmm. the cultural artifact says about um, each of these lenses, and then we would say, now, what is the unique contribution of, of the gospel to this? So hmm.
0: just a question with that, because it seems like with the culture, the first one is okay, listening, you know, but when you go to give the construct, constructive the evaluation, yeah, yeah, it's like, <laughs> no, 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 because everything seems to be driven by feelings, you know, so how That's do right. you cut through that to actually give that evaluation? and maybe we have to answer that after the break we have
1: about 30 (laughs) seconds let me do this because i i took too long with my setup so then will the great got to his pertinent question and there was no time (laughs) i'm sorry okay i apologize So I would like to pick up with this question on the other side of the break, because I think that you're absolutely right in your observation. The culture doesn't have a problem. And I don't mean to personify the culture, but the people don't have a problem with the investigation aspect of what our brother Justin is talking about. But when you get to evaluation, where you start to then offer a constructive criticism of what has been adopted, Mm -hmm. usually there is a problem there. So let's unpack that when we get back. Aaron, the Addison's American Family Radio. Stay close. All the saints and angels, they Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Our brother, Dr. Justin Ariel Bailey, joins us today to discuss his latest book, Interpreting Your World, Five Lenses for Engaging Theology and Culture. And we have all been um, blessed to be able to audit his class and kind of get a feel (laughs) for how a professor teaches theology students how to navigate culture and to be... um, Devoted to the scriptures, to be devoted to truth, but also engage culture in an effective way. And before we went to the break, uh, we were talking about uh, this, I guess, I don't know, the two-step approach to navigating culture that may be an oversimplification that confirms no, I should not fine. be a professor. Okay. Um <laughs> so, <laughs> moving from investigation to evaluation, and Will the Great asked the question before we went to the break. Like, how do we navigate people being totally fine with us investigating their culture and their cultural artifacts? But when you start to evaluate those cultural artifacts, then usually there's a problem. Um have you observed this?
3: Yeah. So I think a few things. So uh, James instructs us to be uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And so I think this is sort of a posture that's underneath that that we listen long first before we speak. And so there's the sense of I think there was a famous apologist who was asked, if you had an hour with someone who didn't believe, what what would you say to them? They said, well, I listen for 50 minutes, and then I'd know what to say in the last 10 minutes. And um, and then I, I think that's what I'm after here, is that we are taking uh, cultural artifacts seriously enough that we're able to discern the, the longings and spiritual hungers and spiritual directions and misdirections underneath. That mm. doesn't mean that the gospel will no longer be offensive. There is isn't no a silver bullet to reduce... Right. Uh, the offensiveness of the gospel to um, to the human heart, mm-hmm. um, but we want to make sure that what is offending is the gospel and not something else, like mm-hmm. maybe us being rude or not, you know, not taking the time to hear them. I'll give you an example. Uh, a few years ago, my wife had a coworker, not not a believer, um, and uh, they got to where they had a close enough friendship where the coworker said to my wife, she said, "Well, why are you raising your children?" Uh, this is in Cal. This is in Los Angeles. Why are you raising your children to be Christians instead of just letting them choose uh, what they want to believe for themselves? And you know, I, I often present that scenario to my students, uh, just to say, how do you react to that? Because most of us react pretty defensively. Uh, most of us are ready to fight. You know, like because here you're, <laughs> you know, making them, I'm harming my children by raising them with faith. And uh, and what my wife did, uh, which is not has nothing to do with me it 's why I married her and I, it wasn't getting <laughs> credit for it. Uh, she, she said she she immediately recognized that underneath this question is a longing for freedom right a longing mm. a longing to to be to be free and so she basically just reframed it she said, well you know that's not really how we think about it because for us uh, faith has been Faith in Jesus Christ has been the most liberating thing we 've ever experienced, and mm. we couldn 't imagine a greater gift to give to our kids mm. oh. and uh, and the friend the coworker was like, I have never ever heard anybody describe faith that way, so can wow. you tell me more right wow. And wow. So this, this is sort of what i 'm saying it, it still requires so it, it, it is a, a freedom within boundaries right mm-hmm. it's it 's not an absolute freedom that you do whatever you want, but it 's right. a freedom in which you're being unleashed to become Everything that God created you to be, and unless we can listen to people long enough to discern, you know, that deep hunger of the heart that will be fulfilled in Christ, uh, then perhaps we'll, we are offending them with things that have nothing to do with the gospel because we haven't taken the time to, to listen uh, mm. to to what's actually going on. So if this is not a strategy for reducing. Um, the natural uh, human heart's resistance to the gospel. Obviously, that's something that the Holy Spirit uh, overcomes, and and we enter into that and seek to be winsome and and gentle and kind. Uh, But uh, it is a a strategy that seeks to help us be uh, slow to speak, quick to hear, uh, slow to become angry. Uh, especially in a time that people are pretty quick to become angry. <laughs> mm,
1: yeah. Wow, that is so refreshingly measured. I think it's wise. I think it's, it's wise so too, wise. because
0: we are in a time where you know it's it's like if you bring out uh, the godly answer or something you know from mm-hmm. scripture immediately it's like oh no you know but to be able to listen and to hear and to have the response like your wife had I think yeah. is very measured and and it's very it's very wise.
1: Yes, and it, which I, I see as a gift of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Because one of the other things that I'm picking up on as Dr. Bailey's talking here is that there is an incredible amount of discernment that mm-hmm. is That's necessary right. in mm-hmm. engaging this culture because you've got to be, even while you are evaluating. You still got to kind of be investigating because what you're trying to do is get to the question beneath the question. Like you, you've got to be listening and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the deeper desire than the one that has been expressed. But,
0: but you have to have that uh, in mind, that aim, because what that's right could happen is just a lot of listening and no answers for you know uh, biblically for those, for those questions. But I think when you when you go in genuinely, I'm going to listen. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hear. I want to be able to answer, you know, in a wise way. I think you can do that. But sometimes we get to the point where we don't give the answer. And that's not good at all. Mm,
1: Dr. Bailey, what would you say to that? I think that's a great point. What would you say to that?
3: Yeah, this is a good point. So I'll just start by saying that um, I think that this is the point I make in my earlier book, Reimagining Apologetics, is that discernment is the umbrella under which defense of the faith happens. So if, mm. we, if we focus mm. on defense of the faith, right. we might That's win it. the argument, but lose the person. But mm. discernment says, what is God doing already in this person's life? And so that means that I must be in conversation with God to say, God, what are you doing yes. here? What is it that you want me to say? When is it my moment to speak? Um, and if we're not doing that, then we might moment to speak, right? Uh, it might be our moment to speak, and we are silent. Mm. Uh, mm. So it says to be slow to speak, not to not speak, right? right. So right. the gospel must proclaimed. It is something that is spoken. It, 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 it comes from the outside. But it comes in a posture of discernment where I am con- consciously and constantly saying, Lord, what are you doing in this person's life? Um, where is it? When is it my moment to speak? And again, that, that is more art than science. It's not going to be the same thing in every conversation. It's yes. not going to be the same thing in relationship. Uh, but you know, just similarly as, you know, I think with my own children, that's more art than science, isn't it? He right. is trying to discern, Lord, where, where do you want me to, where do I need to be more gentle? Where do I need to be yes. more firm? You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's this constant dialogue that you're having uh, with the Lord, and it's not just a conquest where you're trying to win the argument. Mm,
1: that's good. so good. I, I want to get into unpacking some of these lenses here, but before we do that, Dr. Bailey, where can our <laughs> listeners connect with you and pick up a copy of your book?
3: Yeah, the book is available online wherever books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, it's Baker. Baker is the publisher, so you can go to the publisher's website. But it's available uh, most places the books are sold.
1: Wonderful. Okay, so are we ready? Have we gotten our foundation yes. laid here? Can we, we get gotten- into some of these lenses? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, Again, there's a whole chapter on each of these. Um, what I'm trying to do with this is think about—I'm um, not saying that these are the only lenses to look through, but these sure. are five lenses that, always, uh, that we always look through, and they are meaning, power, ethics or morality, religion, and aesthetics. And okay. so in each chapter, I talk about culture as related to these. And so uh, culture is a system of meaning— right? So certain things go viral. They they resonate with large groups of Mm -hmm. the population because it unlocks the sort of meaning dimension of their heart. Uh, We talked about food earlier, right? If I go to a place where there's all sorts of food from many nations, certain foods are going to be more attractive to me and certain foods I'm not going to know what to do with because I'm not connected to it in Mm -hmm. that way. So the meaning dimension of culture is maybe the most um, basic dimension in which Something feels close to us or connected to us because there's some meaning that we assign to it. Uh, the second dimension is the power dimension, and this is a dimension in which um, within every cultural group there are some people that are being positioned as being closer to the center and some people that are being pushed further to the outside. Now I will say that the power dimension is outside the outside the walls of the church the primary lens that is used. Uh, that everything is sort of explained in terms of power dynamics. Mm. And I want to say that's an important lens of analysis, but it can't be the only thing we see because if it's the only thing we see, then we're missing at least four other lenses of what's what's happening in culture. Uh, You want me to just keep going?
1: Yes, please. And then, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's great. Yeah,
3: because I'm afraid if I stop, then we'll talk about all of these lenses. Okay, the third lens (laughs) is the ethical lens. And so whereas the power dimension is more the sense of a struggle for who's in charge uh, and who gets to define what what is, uh, the ethical dimension is this dimension in which we create moral boundaries, and every every culture does this, right? Every culture has things that they think are acceptable or not acceptable. We, we might call these cultural mores, or we might call them uh, community standards, or we might codify them into laws, but every culture naturally makes lines, uh, draws boundaries in terms of what a good human being is and what a bad human being is, or what a good community is and what a bad community is. And the boundaries don't have to become binaries, it's us versus them, but every culture creates ethical boundaries because we are ethical creatures. The fourth lens is the religious lens, and this is the lens where we seek transcendence of some kind, and transcendence of our own sort of individual perspective, Uh, This could be traditional religion, traditional religious systems, or it could be something like going to a football game with 80,000 fans or going to a concert and sort of feeling that sense of transcendence. Um, And we seek this transcendence because we recognize the fact that we have all of these anxieties of life that we have to cope with. And we also have this certainty that we are going to die. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so this religious dimension of culture culture always is religious, even Mm -hmm. if it's not traditionally religious, even if somebody doesn't find uh, that in Christian faith or some other faith. Everybody lives religiously, because everybody lives in face of the anxieties of life and the certainty of death. And then the final lens is the aesthetic lens. Uh, This is maybe the simplest uh, layer of culture in which there are some things that we do just for the heaven of it right? We whistle mm-hmm. while we work, you know, we sing in the shower. These are all cultural things, but they're not really accomplishing anything. You know, we build sandcastles on the beach, even though we know a wave is going to knock it down. Mm-hmm. I sort of talk about this lens in the sense that in these things that we do just for the joy of doing them, we get a sense of the kingdom of God, uh, just the joy of the kingdom of God that, that has value in and of itself, uh, because heaven is a world of joy.
1: This is okay. So, what I'd like, I I really believe that as we are engaging information that to us i think some people especially when they hear a professor talking right i think there are some people who are like well i don't know if i can really make heads or tails of what he's saying but i think everyone connects with the examples that illustrate what you're saying and so i think the one that you used just a minute ago with your wife and her coworker was just brilliant to make the point of how we um not only investigate but then also evaluate we're listening um, what other illustrations do you have that help us understand one or two of these lenses a little bit better?
3: Oh, let me think. Which one? Which one would you like to hear more about?
1: <laughs> um, okay, let's let's do morality. Let's do morality. So, what yeah, questions so moral, do we ask? Yeah.
3: Yeah. So, the moral lens uh, is the one in which we say, um, "What does it mean to be a good human being?" right? All of us are sort of having that conversation. So maybe this is another way into these five lenses. Uh, everyone is already having conversations about meaning, about power, about ethics, about religion, and about aesthetics. Uh, and so I want to enter in and listen to what people are saying about that, and then say, what is the contribution that the gospel gives to this uh, to this particular um, sphere of conversation? And so if we take, for example, uh, the the little of morality or ethics. So think of the phrase that people use all the time um, on the right side of history, right? Mm. Um, so this phrase is often used to recruit the judgments of some imagined future community uh, so that I end up in the majority, right? So I might, I might not be in the majority now, but given enough time, everybody will sort of mm. believe the same things that I believe later. And so I'm actually in the majority because I'm going to be on the right side of history, right? So This sort of imagined perspective of being on the right side of history is a way that we seek to justify ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, We seek to um, kind of draw a circle around ourselves or our people and say we are the right sort of people, we are in the right, and people on the outside of this circle are in the wrong. So again, Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily making a value judgment about people who make that statement. I'm just noting that anyone who says we want to be on the right side of history or we're on the right side of history is talking about culture through the lens of ethics or morality. Mm-hmm. And so what the gospel comes in to do, the gospel always comes in and pokes holes in our self-justification, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. to say, um, you know, actually, goodness is something that comes from the outside as a gift. It's not not something that you can earn on your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's no majority that you can join uh, that will give mm-hmm. it to you other than uh, the majority of being joined to Christ. And, oh, Dr. Uh, Bailey, this-
1: let me let me just jump in because we're going to run out of time here. I want to make sure to direct our listeners back to your book. By the way, that was such, that was a great illustration there. Like what, thank you so much for that. I want to say everyone who listened today, you can like switch your tassels. You just graduated from Dort <laughs> University. Just everybody, congratulations. The book is Interpreting Your World Five Lenses for Engaging Theology and Culture. Our guest, and we've run out of time, has been Dr. Justin Ariel Bailey. I encourage you to check that book out and give it a read. It's my next book in the queue. Until tomorrow, Lord willing.
0: God bless.